0: In recent weeks, we've seen a number of fresh twists and turns for UK equity investors. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has secured parliamentary support, at least in principle, for a Brexit deal with the EU. But it's not all clear just yet. While the EU has extended the departure deadline, we are now due a general election in December. Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle. And joining me today is Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Chelsea Financial Services. Darius, welcome. Hi, Dave. Thanks for coming on. We've we've seen a good rally for both sterling and some UK assets in recent weeks uh, on the back of recent news. But as I mentioned, there are still plenty of unknowns lurking out there. How do you feel the outlook has changed, if it has changed, uh, for UK equities? And uh, what does this mean for sterling-based investors and their broader portfolios?
1: Well, Dave, I think you've sort of led me nicely into this question because mm. the key word that uh, an, an old industry saying is markets don't like uncertainty. Mm. Um, with the announcement of the general election on the 12th of December, we at least have a date where we might get some certainty. I'm not suggesting <laughs> that we will, but were we to have not a hung parliament and either a workable conservative majority or a workable Labour Coalition, or you know, that that actually might lead to some action, and you know, we are three and a half years since the referendum, mm. and the outlook for the UK has been continuously negative, and shows no sign of actually improving until we maybe get some certainty following the um, the twelfth. So that that gives, I think, some light to the end of what felt like a very long tunnel for for UK investors. What might it mean? Well, I think the market would respond well to some clarity, both with respect to the currency. UK equities are very unloved globally. And we saw, even if it was one sharp day, that if there is some end to uncertainty, it was earlier in October, when actually the UK domestic part of the market, some of the banks were up 10% in a day, that we might see... A reversal of the long-standing growth versus value trend, and that overseas earners versus UK domestic stocks, which have just been so totally and utterly unloved. So that I think is um, a key thing to have on investors' radar.
0: Do you feel? I mean, it's interesting the point you make about the kind of this this long dark tunnel um, UK equities have been through. Um, I almost wonder sometimes if any, like you said, markets don't like uncertainty, and I wonder if almost any. Result would kind of cause a boost in things like sterling, and then perhaps the kind of
1: domestic ends of the market. Well, well uh, absolutely, and you know there is still a decent chance for hung parliament. We can't get away from that. We've sort of got a resurgence of Lib Dems with a strong Remain policy at their core, and potentially the Brexit Party, which might take votes away from the Tory Party, but that depends to see how they feel their candidates. But if we were to end up with a workable Tory majority. I think you would see the pound rally particularly um if we ended up with a corbyn government I think you would see the pound certainly in the short term really under threat the spending plans of 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 a corbyn government would mean the issuing of hundreds of tens of millions of more gilts mm. and I think that would send a very very weak send the pound much weaker which is good for your overseas holdings but less good for your domestic holdings so you know we feel the currency is a major issue i think historically even though the currency has rallied from $1.20 in august to 128 129 depending on exactly how it's going today you could argue that the pound is still cheap on a long run basis and i think uk investors need to make sure that if pound is to be very strong that you know, the trades which worked in the last five years, which is all your overseas holdings have benefited from that weak pound that actually might be reversed. So just to make sure that if you have a strong view on the politics and the outcome that your portfolios at least insulated from some of the swings that we might see in currency.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. So I guess we'll get to the broader portfolio thinking in a minute. But say for now you're an, an investor, you're considering your UK exposure. As a sterling-based investor, you'll probably have a decent, chunk of that um what sort of funds or perhaps what sort of combination of funds should you be considering
1: yeah well as i say we've we've been able to, to gather, even if it's a short piece of evidence following an improvement in the brexit outlook that you mentioned in your introduction and now the announcement of of an election and what we have seen is some of the funds which have been out of favor actually starting to rally so if you felt that this Brexit outcome with coupled with an election could could lead to um a reversal of that value growth thing. There then are funds like Investec, UK special situ- situations. Um Schroeder has a very strong value team. They run a recovery and an income fund. These are funds that we might see go into, you know, from having had a proper wind in their face to a wind behind. We also are big fans of ManGLG income. This is a not a deep value fund, but it's certainly got a nice balance in it of UK domestics as well as some overseas owners. So that's a good way of potentially hedging your bet within just one fund. And then there's the sort of, you know, that push into the domestic part of the market where you tend to get some more mid and small cap names. And if you're looking for some small cap or some multi cap, you could look at something like standard life equity income unconstrained, which is a multi cap. Income fund, but very much with a focus on the cheap domestic stocks in the UK market. If you think actually that this isn't going to be the case and just any form of growth certainty is still the play in town, then something like Marlborough multi-cap growth or if, you again, you like small cap, um, you might look at Livingbridge micro-cap fund or uh, Unicorn UK smaller companies. These are all funds with... Sort of more of a quality, quality part in their process.
0: And say I'm sitting on the fence. Would any of those? I mean, are, I imagine there are some funds you probably name that you could see as a kind of all conditions approach, perhaps all weather. But otherwise, would you think of perhaps um, just combining some of these different ones well, you've mentioned? Or?
1: You, well, we did, we talked a little bit earlier, and you said you would expect UK investors to have a lot of UK equities, and I think historically that was very much the case. Yeah. But given the outperformance of U.S. markets, what we've seen, certainly with our clients, is there's been a strong push in recent years into global equities. Um, The likes of Fundsmith, very well known, the likes of Nick Train, very well known, but also um, things like Rathbone Global Opportunities has had really strong performance, consistent performance and been a real favourite with our types of clients and you know, sort of 10, 15 years ago, most people bought UK equity income. If they didn't want the dividend, they reinvested it and they would have been very much at minimum 50 to 70% in UK equities. Whereas I think that has drifted in, um, in the last five and 10 years. And if our currency goes up by 10%, which is 12 cents on the dollar, I hear sort of at around 129, could you see it back at 140, your overseas earnings or your overseas funds are going to go down by 10% with nothing else moving. So if their share prices stay the same and the currency goes up 10%, your funds are going to go down 10%. So it's just maybe having that check and balance to make sure you are in the right position. Because what we find with investors um, is they buy the funds they like, they go up, they don't necessarily rebalance and make sure that they're in the sort of... um, Position that they that they might they end up in a position where the funds that have outperformed become bigger parts of their yeah, portfolio, yeah. and the ones that underperform become smaller parts. So, I think in the coming weeks, and uh, there are weeks to the election, you know, um, a bit of uh, a portfolio check probably is a good adv- good adv- good advice at this time. Yeah, so
0: good, like you say, a good time to rebalance and just reconsider um how your portfolio shapes up. And is there anything else uh, within a broader portfolio you? say, investors should look at, for example, within bonds? I mean, perhaps it's the same equation. It's just kind of global versus
1: sterling, that, that broader mix. Yeah, most bond funds, certainly that, that, that UK investors holds, whether they're investment-grade bond funds or strategic bond funds, they are at least 80% in, in sterling. Yeah. So to be included in those sectors, you have to be at least 80% hedged. So while they may hold overseas bonds, they often hedge the currency back. So they are much, much more of a sterling asset. So they should be more immune from a rise in sterling if that's the way it plays out. So I think the bond funds are less you know less in the firing line for 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 strong sterling because within their funds they 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 do have those uh, minimum requirement for eighty percent in sterling hedge yeah, yeah okay so the
0: debates about u k equities, i suppose is um arguably now become one about contrarian investing um I suppose at least for the last year. You've had some investors who simply won't touch UK equities at bargepole. Some people yep. think it is screamingly cheap. Um, but there's a bigger debate that you've already alluded to um, going on now, you know, it's been running for years now, which is value investing versus growth investing. Absolutely. And, you know, in recent years, uh, obviously, value has tended to lag behind, um, bar the occasional rally. So yep. um, I remember you know, halfway through 2016, yep. we suddenly saw that, you know, big... Strong rotation up. into value across the globe, yeah. Yep, yep. And then that that tapered off um, around 2017. But um, we've seen a bit of a resurgence, um, I guess, very briefly at least in September. Um, value came back a bit, popular stocks, momentum stocks, such as some US tech names struggled. Yep. Um, what's that mean? I mean, has that kind of shifted the dial? Is now a time to be leaning into value? Well,
1: uh- so we we see lots of st- stats from the fund management community, and I think globally, and I've seen this for emerging market and global equities, basically 90% of funds held are either in core or core growth. Wow, wow absolutely, which means 10% is in value. Now, our friends over at Schroder's who run a couple of those funds that I mentioned earlier, Everybody's waiting for the great catalyst, and it may well be that we don't get an obvious catalyst to signal a maybe hopefully, a, well, hopefully a prolonged period of resurgence in values that funds. But as you said. With October, we've seen that really sharp day. I think it was around the, the um, 11th of October when all the UK value domestic names were up 5 to 10%, mm. and all the UK quality names were actually down. So i actually seen a 10 to 15% swing in some of these names from the quality side to the value side in one day. Now, that was quite extreme. But when we look, um, we look out at the market, it's hard to find anything that you could actually say is cheap. Global investors have been departing the UK market in their droves. You know, if you're a US global manager based in the States, why would you, you know, the view has been, why hold UK equities? Brexit's a a, a real unknown. Let's revisit it when it looks a bit more known. So we've seen huge amounts of money go out of UK equities. So the value part, the domestic part of the UK market is something that on a relative basis, you can argue is cheap. Um, and certainly, all those managers that that, that maybe I referenced earlier, with, with some of the fund selections, you know, they—I sat with Thomas Moore only a couple of weeks ago. He runs the Standard Life UK Equity Income Unconstrained and uh, an investment trust um, based on the same sort of strategy. And he just said, well, "What do you want me to do to capitulate now at exactly potentially the wrong time when, you know, we see these names as having the most value?" So, what I would suggest to investors is. If the global stats of 90-10 um, or in core growth or core versus value, I think that's probably a bit too extreme. And, you know, within the funds which we run, we are much more in a sort of 60-40 um, balance with 40% in value. We just don't think it's the right time in the cycle to be taking large style bets, clearly, over the last several number of years, that's been wrong because the growth funds have so massively outperformed. But as it's got more and more extreme, we just think it's um, sensible to have a bit of balance and some value with some of those fund names that that, that we mentioned earlier as good UK value funds. There are also lots of good global funds if you're not so expecting the pound to do well. Things like Investnet Global Special Situations, uh, Schroeder Global Recovery with that sort of ninety ten, also what we've seen is lots of value funds actually shutting. So, places like Investec and Schroders um, have still got strong value-oriented franchises and continue to support them. So, um, you know, there are a couple of places where I think UK investors could look if they share a view that some uncertainty off the table might lead to a bit more of this value domestic rally.
0: Mm, yeah, I found it quite interesting recent years with value investors and more generally contrarian investors. It's almost become a case of just surviving and hoping that you actually
1: make it to see that. hundred percent. You know, turn around. hundred percent just surviving and T. Rowe Price evidence some statistics in emerging markets and literally I think it's 10% or under are left in value strategies. Yeah. That means value funds are almost unheard of. Whereas if we step back 10 years ago and we look at the previous decade, hmm. um, value funds actually were the predominant force particularly in asia and emerging markets and to a lesser extent in europe so value has had a terrible time the low interest rate environment which we've been in for the last decade alongside of qe has been so supportive of growth strategies it's unbelievable i just think we just all need to make sure we're not all pointing the same way and some redressment of the balance between growth and value and maybe overseas in uk is something that uk investors should be giving some consideration to with the election only now four weeks away five weeks away
0: and given what you said the the ninety ten statistic do you worry much about the
1: concept of uh, style drift where
0: someone who is a, a value manager um perhaps kind of not without shouting well not shouting it from the rooftops but they perhaps kind of move their portfolio around because they're they're struggling and they kind of just drift a bit more into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And it's the sort of thing which we ha- as fund buyers and fund researchers have to to check on. Um, yeah. But, you know, when we look at the value managers which we own in our funds or we have rated by our fund ratings business, you know, they are very much, look, we value this is what we do. We've had horrible conditions in which to run money, but we're not changing. So, um, you know we then will look at their portfolio with them and go, oh, is that a value stock? And they'll either explain why it is or it isn't. But, you know, the likes of Alistair Mundy at Investec um, and the value team at Schroeder's, um, the MAN, GLG, Japan, Core Alpha, I mean, these are value strategies to their core and uh, and to their death, I would say, (laughs) um, that they will say. But it's a really good question is for people who have the opportunity to look and and work with fund managers to make sure that there isn't that sort of style drift. Um, We've not seen huge evidence, you know, the out-and-out value managers, whilst they may be getting less in number, are sticking to their knitting, so that's actually quite good news.
0: And are there any regions, I mean, you mentioned Core Alpha, for example, are there any regions beyond either going UK or global that you
1: would identify as sort of a value play, like, for example, Europe? Well, so basically... Until that sort of September, October, maybe tilting strategy with value and growth, actually value has underperformed growth pretty much everywhere in the globe. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, let's just say in the US, value is 10% undervalue versus growth. It's just that, that that chart of growth outperforming and value underperforming is a global phenomenon. So it's not like we can see any standout pockets of value. UK domestics, we've already discussed. Um, I think the trade war tensions has particularly hit some of the Japan, Japanese names. They're big auto, and um, so they're exporters, and they use steel and aluminium in their product. And they've all had tariffs um, added globally. So, I mean, Japan's not been a great market this year. It's actually underperformed. So, if you're looking for things that have maybe done less well, mm. then something like uh, Japan Value might be. A real contrarian bet at this stage, but um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be putting all in on on that type of strategy. But something like Japan, where they've had those structural challenges because of the trade tensions with particularly aluminium and exports of cars or facing tariffs, that, that, that some of those sectors really have had a difficult time. So as always, if you're looking at something cheap, you have to think closely, why is it cheap? yeah and you you do see big swings on any day that there's good news between the chinese and the Ch- and the us on the trade tensions thing which is the other big geopolitical thing that's not brexit that that, <laughs> that that investors need to be concerned about it is likely donald trump is going to want to get some resolution to make himself look good in the run up to the november 2020 uh, us election but i don't think he can manipulate the Chinese maybe as easily as he thinks he can. (laughs) Um, You know, they've had their political system for a lot longer than Donald Trump's been in and they can potentially see this one out. And when we've met with managers from the region who actually work and live in in Hong Kong and Shanghai, they think that the trade war thing is actually to stay, um, that it's not going to be resolved. There might be some short-term headline news where it looks like it's resolved, but... This is basically a big global power struggle and between the US and the Chinese. And I don't think it's certainly the managers we speak to who live in that region um, fear that this um, could be in the system for, for, for years to come. Yeah. So more a question how bad it is rather than whether it's happening. Exactly. And which parts of markets get, you know, were there to be a, a lifting in the aluminium? Sort of, you could easily see a, 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 a rally in Japanese autos, for instance, which um, is a sector that's been more challenged because of those tariffs.
0: Yeah. So, finally, on the um, value growth discussion, um, it's always seen as a dangerous thing to hear people saying this time it's different in markets. But in recent years, we've seen arguments from some fairly prominent investors, including Nick Train that factors such as digital disruption and uh, the rise of intangible assets has basically meant that value investing, or at least the um, old methodologies used as part of value investing, are essentially redundant. Um, Do you think that argument holds
1: water? Um, I, I think disruption is a key issue, and managers who can spot the trends, you know, like falling retail versus online retail, you know, if you're a high street, you've been destroyed. And if you're an online retailer, some of them have gone very well. Um, For me, I think the fact that we have now had a decade of low interest rates without inflation and money pumped into the system. um, I think if you were a believer in that continuum, that actually rates are going to stay lower for longer, that there isn't going to be a big rise of inflation, then I think you can very much make the case that um, growth stocks continue to outperform. The growth view value thing is, is more stretched than, than it has ever been in history. All equities broadly look, you know, they've had, we've been in a bull market for 10 years as well, supported by a sort of QE. I just think with sort of style drift in portfolios, investors should just have a, a little check to make sure that Things are where they want if they think that we're in this lower for longer interest rates and believe some of the sort of things which I'm not saying are not true that the disruption tendencies, you know, old value stocks. You know, value stocks are basically things that are cheap. So if you screen, say, for instance, Alastair Mundy at Investec, first thing he does is he looks at things that have fallen by fifty percent. That sometimes will be out of favor businesses. Sometimes that will be businesses that are really structurally challenged. And it's his job then, as an active fund manager, to be comfortable with the level of debt that that company holds and whether or not they've just been oversold or whether they are genuinely disrupted and on the way out. So that's, you know, where hopefully the active management. You know, can actually add some value as not just buying cheap stuff, but actually then doing their rigorous work into sectors and trends yeah. to see um, to hopefully keep them away from 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 value traps that, that eventually go bust.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, now, moving on from that, um, we have a small update on. Something that's featured very heavily in uh, our recent podcasts it's been very hard to avoid and that is uh, the fallout of the Neil Woodford um, story. So we already know that his flagship fund Woodford Equity Income uh, is due to be wound up and uh, last week we discussed the fact that patient capital uh, the investment trust is going to be taken over by Schroeder's. We now have a very small update on um, the smallest fund Woodford Income Focus. So in mid-October trading was suspended on the fund amid fears about significant investor outflows. The authorised corporate director, um, Link, has now done a small update. Um, and they've again, they've outlined the options available to the fund. So a new manager could take over, the fund could be merged into a different fund, um, or they could decide to wind it up. Um, but what's been interesting this time is uh, Link have noted that several uh, investment managers have essentially expressed an interest in taking over the fund. I guess I'd just like to get your thoughts on that option. I know you've had some strong opinions on the decision to wind up equity income. And if someone does take over that fund, uh, what do investors need to bear in mind? What are the kind of opportunities and challenges?
1: Yeah, I mean, our views on equity income were centred around the, the timing. We found it was very odd. Um, then we seen the Panorama the following week and maybe found it was less odd. Um, not that 90% of the stuff, that the way the, that the industry is portrayed in the Panorama document, to my mind, was inaccurate, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> um, but on that day in early October, um, when we had this massive value rally that we've already spoken about and all the banks were up 10%, Neil Woodford's fund was the best-performing UK equity fund, up over 5.5% we felt it fractionally ironic that the fund was suspended (laughs) just at a time when maybe it was positioned to actually outperform and the long-suffering investors were actually about to have a really good time. So we know that the main fund, as you rightly say, is going into a runoff scenario with BlackRock indexing the listed part and the unlisted part being sold as and when. Income focus, you know, Neil Woodford was a, a value contrarian manager. I would imagine the investors in that fund would probably wish to see something of a value contrarian manager take over. Um, Lots of income managers actually are quite contrarian because they're looking for that higher yield and that, you know, sort of sometimes more mature businesses, which which are nice dividend paying, but maybe not as sexy as some of the growth stocks. I would imagine you would, and I have no knowledge to this but something like Threadneedle um, equity income managed by Richard Colwell I would put in a a similar style um, to Neil or something like that or some of the funds again previously mentioned uh, at Schroder's or G, they've got sort of a contrarian value philosophy which was similar to Neil so you would imagine that that is the sort of potential possible outcome as that sort of manager but we've had a very brief update that they're at least considering Not running it down, which Mm. I think, you know, what what are investors going to want? They're either going to want a good replacement manager that they can hang their hats on, or they're going to want their money back. And they're going to want their money back sooner rather than later. And given the big fund at Woodford was due to open in December, that would have given investors an earlier opportunity to get their money back than being in this runoff, which we don't think they'll get their money back or, or all of it for several months. So, yeah, it's a bad story, which has ended badly. Yes. Yeah. It's been a bit of a mess, hasn't it? It really has.
0: I guess one thing I consider with income focus, if someone is taking it over, like you say, maybe there are some interesting opportunities, but how do they deal with the kind of overhang of equity income? Because equity income is going to be selling down everything. There's a lot of overlap. In
1: income focus, the whole, the the differentiator in that product was it was to be the larger cap. Yeah maybe old-style Neil Woodford focusing on these contrarian value names. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. They're pointed in the same sort of areas that Neil had been repositioning the suspended income fund into, which was, again, full the UK domestic. I think that would give a short-term overhang that you've identified. But it also, if we have this rally that that we've seen very early signs of, actually that whole sector could be the booming sector and it, it, it mightn't be a problem at all. So I think it's really disheartening for investors not to have access to their money and all we care about now is investors and them having the best outcome so a very credible alternate manager or quick liquidation return money to investors and then they can get it reinvested in other things should they then wish yeah well uh, hopefully it gets resolved soon so
0: darius thanks for all your points really interesting um that brings us to the end of today's show um but also do look at this week's Investors Chronicle or go to investorschronicle.co.uk for more on the outlook for Neil Woodford's old funds, as well as some in-depth coverage of platform charges and how they affect your investments. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend.